Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Self-isolating this week. Live from New Orleans for the first time in four and a half months. They say habits die hard unless you're in radio and podcasting, and then they die very easy, and you get yeah, very easily, thank you. And then um, you have to learn them all over again and get nervous all over again about it. And uh, that would be me, and you would be, of course, you. Ladies and gentlemen, this, um, this has been a, a, a noteworthy week. First of all, this, this is going to be a noteworthy show. Sometimes, you know, I pride myself on not mentioning <laughs> the, the name of uh, President Trump at all during the entire hour. This week, I, I, I believe I therefore have the, uh, the option and the right to uh, devote much of this week's show to the self-same comical nomenclature and the person represented thereby, um, because this week, I don't want to say a shark was jumped, but it wasn't a minnow either. This was the week that cognitive dissonance came to, came to stay, um, a, a time when it's never been so dramatic that this minute's alleged truth is very different from the next minutes, alleged truth, and you were being dared to not remember between the two things, to to forgotten in the instant between them. And uh, I just thought that that needed to be commemorated with a song. Hello, welcome to the show. I don't kid. Let me just tell you. Let me make it clear. Russia, if you're listening, I said four years ago, Try to find the emails of Clinton. The fake news when Ape said this was the proof of a plot about which they keep hinting. Maybe more than hinting. I said at the time it was just a joke do the google and watch the vid it was pretty damn funny many people said but if you want to know the truth i don't kid no i don't kid I don't kid. Let me just tell you. Let me make it clear. The haters really freaked out when I did a riff over how to beat the so-called virus hoax. Inject some disinfectant. Maybe drink some bleach. My people thought 
That was one of my best jokes. Easily one of my best jokes. Where's your sense of humor? We said to the mob, like derangement syndrome controlled all they did. When I think about it, it still makes me laugh. But if you wanna know the truth, I don't kid. No, I don't kid. I don't kid in the morning. I don't kid in the afternoon. I don't kid that lucky old son. I don't kid that man in the moon. I don't kid. Let me just tell you. Let me make it clear. Testing for COVID can be a double-edged blade. Not a shadow of a doubt that it's true. So I told my people to just slow it down. Many say that's a sensible thing to do. A sensible thing to do. When the gang of never Trumpers started to scream, my senators seemed to be hidden. Everyone knows now that I don't joke, but it turns out I was only kidding. Justice once I was kidding. It was a comment that he made in jest. It's a comment that he made in passing. You know, it was tongue-in-cheek. Come on now. That was tongue-in-cheek. It, it was clearly, I, I understand that there's not much of a sense of humor at CNN Center, but the president was joking. I don't kid. Let me just tell you. Let me make it clear. Clear, 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 clear. Okay, got that? Got it straight now? From New Orleans, Louisiana, kind of quiet, except for Bourbon Street. As, as it should be. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Our house is a very, very, very smart house. Just, just remembering how this works is all I'm doing. A report from Consumer Advocates in Britain. Uh, they publish a magazine called Which... Not not uh, witch hunt, witch with a, with two H's, two H's as they say in Britain, highlights the shockingly short lifespan of smart appliances, with some losing software support after just a few years, despite the fact they cost vastly more than dumb alternatives, according to the Register, British tech journal. That lifestyle uh, lifespan. It's not a style; it's a span. Varies between manufacturers. I believe they mean among manufacturers. But who am I to rewrite a British tech magazine? Well, I'm the guy with the radio show. Most vendors were vague. Uh, one offered up to 10 years. LJ saying pat- LG saying patches would be issued as required. Samsung it says it would offer software support for a maximum of two years, according to the report in which. 
Only one manufacturer, the German company Miele, or Miele, Miel, promised to issue software updates for a full decade after the release of a device. But then they make premium price products. Some devices, like Samsung's smart fridge freezers, <laughs> include large touchscreen displays, allowing users to do tasks, but otherwise have to be performed on a smartphone or computer. They're vastly more expensive because of the displays. Smart fridge typically costs about $800 more than one without a Wi-Fi chip. Smart dishwashers are a couple hundred dollars. No, sorry. Yeah, $300 more on average. Smart dryers command a premium of about 250 For consumers, that lifespan short as it is, raises the possibility they could be forced to replace their white goods, that's what they're called in the industry, before they otherwise would. According to the consumer watchdog, fridge freezers typically last 11 years. But the software don't. Users could find themselves with a big white brick in the kitchen. There's precedent for this in the world of the Internet of Fangs. In 2016's Owners of the Revolve Smart Home Hub were infuriated after the Google-owned Nest deactivated the servers required for it to work. More recently, Belkin hit the kill switch on its Wemo Netcam IP cameras, offering refunds only to those users whose devices were still in warranty and who kept their receipts. You do that, don't you? Another cause for concern, given that smart appliances are essentially computers with a persistent connection to the Internet, there's a risk hackers could co-opt unpatched fridges and dishwashers, turning them into drones in vast botnets. That's already happened. And it was so smart. Smart home devices, Tech Radar reports, could all stop working without warning due to expiring security certificates. I think we covered that one already. Systematic design flaws have been discovered in leading Internet-connected doorbell and security cameras by a Florida Institute of Technology student. That's all it took. I'm not, uh, I'm not dissing that. My hat's off to him. And I'm not even... Yeah, I am. No, I'm not. Blake, but I'm, I am neck-masked. I'm alone in the studio, so I am neck-masked. Blake Jane's unearthed, unearthed vulnerabilities in devices manufactured by Ring, Nest, Simply Safe, and eight other companies relating to the removal of active user accounts. The flaws allow a shared account to remain in place and continue accessing the video feed, despite appearing to have been removed. This is from Info Security magazine. The flaws could allow malicious actors... Well, why don't we just get them out of the guild? Malicious actors to covertly record audio and video from vulnerable devices indefinitely, invading the privacy of victims on their very own doorsteps. Isn't that convenient? In electronic stalking cases or cases where a cohabiting couple who shared access to a device have ceased to cohabit, such flaws could have serious repercussions. Good news for stalkers. The vulnerability arises from devices being designed in such a way that decisions to grant access are completed in the cloud, that is to say, a server farm in Virginia, and not made locally on either the camera itself or the user's smartphones. The uh, computer science major's discovery was presented in a paper by him and two faculty members from the university's Institute for Cyber Security Research. Uh, the student suggested several fixes. 
Google awarded the hardworking student a bug bounty of $3,133. And you know, somebody had to figure out that figure. 3133. What does it mean? It means something to Google. Other vendors, including Samsung, have been communicating with the student, Mr. James, directly about his recommended solutions to fix the vulnerability. Because, like, they don't have anybody at Samsung who could, you know, why would they bother? Why would they waste valuable anything on that? Because they're smart. And they live in a smart house. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? It is copyrighted up, copyrighted up the wazoo is all I can say about that. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. This edition of Listen to the Warm is uh, focusing on other creatures than us. Bruce Robison looked through a plexiglass sphere of submersible and spotted an unusual creature in the waters off central California. This is from the Los Angeles... There's a Los Angeles Times. Why am I the last? Nearly transparent, no longer than a fist, the squishy tadpole-like animal was surrounded by an enormous balloon of mucus. Now that's... If you're going to talk about tourist attractions off the coast of Southern California, a huge balloon of mucus seems like a... Like a no-brainer. It's about three feet wide. Robeson discerned chambers intricately inflated within the mucus balloon, sprinkled with particles of food and plant debris. Well, he spent years in the open ocean studying these gelatinous animals, too large and too fragile to bring back into the lab. They're giant larvations that inhabit seas across the world. Tens of thousands of them live in Monterey Bay alone. Well, maybe they live together. I don't know. But he and fellow researchers eventually learned these creatures and their mucus balloons. Say it with me now. Mucus balloons. It's fun, isn't it? Play an outsized role in developing or helping the ocean remove planet-warming CO2 from the atmosphere. That's one more part of a vast and underappreciated system that makes the ocean an unsung hero of climate change. So let's dump some more crap in the ocean. What do you say? We'll fix that. The ocean is absorbed. The oceans have absorbed more than a quarter of the CO2 released by humans and about 90% of the resulting heat. That's why it's cold in here. Well, I thought I was blaming the air conditioning. It's the ocean. We're just on the edge of this tremendous change in how we perceive and understand how the ocean works, said Robeson. With giant larvations or bathocordaeus, well, of course, scientists and engineers at the Monterey Bay Institute figured out a way to study their inner workings. In a new study published in the journal Nature, the team described how they were able to scan the animals with lasers mounted onto a 12,000-pound robot. That was going to be my idea, I, but I was late. And then reconstructed the mucus stru- structure inside a 3D model. 3D model of a mucus balloon. Boy, they have fun in academia, don't they? They piece together the intricate architecture within the mucus apparatus called the house. (laughs) Scientists in the house. 
and study how water moves through the delicate structures. They could see chambers and passageways they never knew existed. The larvation essentially lives inside two mesh-like filters, a smaller inner house containing filters and fluted chambers. Man, I don't have fluted chambers in my house. It's surrounded by a coarser outer house that can blow up to be one meter across. That outer filter traps plant debris and food particles too big for the animal to eat. The inner filter guides smaller pieces into its mouth. Lazy mother, isn't it? Larvations use their tails to pump water through both filters, like 21 gallons an hour. The uh, mucus gets clogged every 24 hours. It's a nice life. The larvation abandons the filter and moves on to make a new one. This netting of mucus, this is why I'm sharing this all with you, not just for the comic value. It's packed with carbon-rich particles. Then it collapses like a punctured balloon and sinks a significant load of carbon to the deep sea floor, locking it away from re-entering the atmosphere. Ordinarily, massive quantities of carbon drift through the ocean as marine snow. These tiny particles sink very slowly and often get eaten by other organisms on the way down, which brings the carbon back up the food chain. So scientists are amazed by the mucus houses which clump together so many particles and microplastics that everything's, everything sinks much faster to the, bar, uh, to the bottom, which I think is where we're all sinking. And the vapor. Plants emit vapor, of course. Of course you know that, when they breathe. Otherwise, they suffocate in the thing. Sir, that vapor serves to lo lower the land surface temperature, much like watering the yard on a hot day. Until now, the greenhouse effect has been blamed for the rise in global temperature, but an interesting study has shown that the Arctic temperature rises when the moisture released by plants is reduced due to the increase of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So it's like backwards. The uh, joint research team done by, uh, where is it? Oh, Pohang University of Science and Technology, published in Nature Communications. I guess that's... South uh, and, and a researcher at the University of Zurich, Zurich in Switzerland, it's confirmed the increase in atmospheric CO2 concentration closes the pores, the stomata, of plants in high-latitude areas and reduces their, their breathing, which ultimately accelerates Arctic warning. Warming. Warning. Warming. The findings which were studied through simulations were published in Nature Communications. So uh, it's like backwards time. Now, the increase in CO2 produces an increase in warming. The response from the vegetation leads to the global climate change by controlling the exchange of energy between the surface and the atmosphere, referred to as physiological forcing. The quantitative estimate of the stomata closure's effect on Arctic warming due to increased CO2 show that about 10% of the greenhouse effect is caused by this physiological forcing. We learn something every day, even if we really, really don't want to. News of the warm leads me to that very conclusion. And now, what the frack? This has got to come as a great, 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 great big surprise, I think, to many of us. In Pennsylvania, state regulators systematically failed to protect the citizens of their state 
from the environmental and health damages caused by natural gas drillers. Who would have thunk that? This is according to a grand jury investigation released this week by the Attorney General. The giant fracking companies were given a free pass by unprepared agencies and the public was harmed, plain and simple, Attorney General Josh Shapiro said at a news conference. His report came nearly two years after investigation into the Marcellus Shale exploration industry. That's the rich area of Pennsylvania where they've been fracking up a storm. The report noted that the state's Departments of Environmental Protection and Health failed to police or investigate environmental complaints, failed to collect health data, and failed to warn the public when they were at risk. So it's a kind of a um, 360 failure, you might say. The report included eight recommendations to better protect the public, like do your effing job. That would be a recommendation. And uh, regulated the industry in the state. Distance requirements to residences were one of the recommendations. More transparency in the chemicals used. That's been a problem ever since fracking started. The companies maintain that the recipe of the chemicals they inject to uh, free up the oil are trade secrets and therefore cannot be disclosed, even though they're injecting them into our earth. And the uh, report also recommends transportation regulation for waste created by the drilling. We'll just drug it over here. Government oversight of this activity was for many years poor and has only recently showed some signs of improvement, the grand jurors wrote in the introduction. The bottom line is this was a failure, Shapiro said. Regulators were supposed to prevent abuse by the big corporations, but they didn't, unquote. Shapiro found, well, the grand jury found, he just said, that state environmental regulators failed to file violations against the industry, failed to tell the public when violations were filed and could be a risk to their health, and regularly failed to refer those violations for criminal investigation. The grand jury also criticized the Department of Health for not collecting data on past issues. That could uh, be summarized, I think, in two words. More data! More data! We need more data! Come on! More data! More data! Huh? Get some data for me! More data! More data! More data! We need more! More! Jurors in the grand jury found from, heard from farmers who alleged their horses died or their livestock became infertile as a result of what they say is water polluted by the fracking companies. The jurors concluded the industry is making children sick listing headaches, rashes, nosebleeds, bruising, cramps, nausea, vomiting, burning eyes, tremors, and stabbing or burning sensations. Symptoms would often go away when people left their homes. Well, you don't really need your home. Witnesses said living near a drilling pad can be noisy, dirty, and annoying. (laughs) Just sounds like Santa Monica to me. With constant truck traffic and blinding light at all hours of the night, Water could taste like formaldehyde, smell like sulfur, and leave a black sludge in toilets. How do they know what formaldehyde tastes like? Come on now. I, I have to... Maybe, maybe they did some formaldehyde testing? Taste testing. I want to be in on that for sure. Some people had to sleep in a corner of the basement trying to get away from it, jurors wrote. 
The vibrations from drilling and fracking were sometimes so intense that all the worms were forced up out of the ground. That's your takeaway right there, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just bringing up oil and gas. We're bringing up the worms. The grand jury report does not, according to what I've read, speculate or investigate the reasons why the regulators failed. What the frack? When you're down on the corner at the place of brothers, go drink beer that all the players patronize. I don't expect to travel down there again this year. So if you see them, say hi to the guys. When you're down on the podium, standing in the ticket line, or strolling through the carry, just think of me for a minute and that'll be fine. Last week in April, first weekend. Just think of me for the briefest of time. 
down in New Orleans, this is the show. And it is pretty much the same. Very kind of wild. I'm, I'm told last night on Bourbon Street, but otherwise amazingly quiet. And, uh, well, you know, people here like to wear masks. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news from the Let Us Try people, or about the Let Us Try people, the United States Army Corps of Engineers. A report from a special commission recommends that the state of Missouri work with neighboring states and the Army Corps to change how flood recovery and prevention, I think they have that backwards, how flood prevention and recovery, when the prevention fails, are approached. The commission wants the federal government to be more receptive to innovative ideas. You want to place your bets now or you you want to wait until it becomes more obvious? Governor Mike Parson of Missouri, Missouri, you're welcome, created the Flood Recovery Advisory Working Group in an effort to break the cycle of Missouri River flooding, which has caused widespread catastrophic damage in your 1993, your 2011, and your 2019. The group also reviewed problem areas along the Mississippi. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the Missouri has been trained. Remember that word that surfaced a couple of weeks ago? Trained by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. They, they train the river. Isn't that nice of them? It's, it's basic training, though. That's the problem. Missouri Department of Natural Resources Deputy Director Drew Bunton, he's not Homer and he's Bunton, says current practice forces farmers and others to work toward restoring levees as quickly as possible for crop insurance reasons, for just basic protection reasons. And so there's a finite window of opportunity to be able to go in and look at doing something different, Bunton says. He says Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, and Iowa want that changed. They want something different. He says Missouri is working with its neighbors and the Corps to take a longer look at the problem areas along the Missouri River, which repeatedly flood and recommend changes which could prevent or lessen future flooding. Build more walls, build more levees. Because that always works. A proposed Missouri River levee project in extreme northwest Missouri could become a prototype to prevent the recurring flooding if it can clear federal regulatory hurdles. Atchison County Levee District number one. They're number one. Proposes a setback levee which would add as much as 200 acres of wetlands and, county officials hope, prevent the repeated flooding in the area. Button says... Federal officials have raised concerns because the approach is so different. Yeah, it's more land before you get to the levy is the thing. Trying to wade through many of the funding sources that would help the levy district help Atchison County accomplish that project don't envision this type of project, he says. He says that's the problem. Federal regulations often lock landowners into repairing the same system which continues to fail during flood years. Well, that doesn't happen anywhere else. We didn't have that. In New- Button says federal requirements which must be met for wetlands easements actually stand in the way of the project, even though the project would greatly increase wetlands in the area. He remains optimistic, though, that the project will eventually be approved. And he's looking forward to that pony. Button says the commission is determined that his report does not simply sit on a shelf. He wants it filed in a cabinet. Now, he says Missouri is already working with officials in the neighboring states. He says they want to speak with one voice when expressing concerns to the Army Corps of Engineers and pushing for change. I'd try many voices. 
I really would. I just think that might get their attention. But that's just me when talking about the let us try people, the people of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. And now it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for News of the Godly. Deadline Paris, at least 3,000 children have fallen victim to sex abuse in the French, French Catholic Church since <laughs> French Catholic Church since 1950. Just say that really fast, French Catholic Church since 1950. Okay, you're good. Uh, that's the conclusion of a commission set up to examine claims against the church. They say the real number may be much higher. This according to Agence France-Presse. The commission's president, Jean-Marc Sauve, said preliminary figures suggested some 1,500 clergy and other church officials carried out the abuse. The commission was set up last June at the request of French bishops after a series of pedophile cases that rocked the church in France and abroad. Well, they got rocked. A hotline urging victims to come forward has received 5,300 calls over the past year, Sove said. The number of estimated victims represents more than 40 cases per year on average over the past seven decades. But Sove says he's deeply convinced that there are many more victims. We do not know how to consolidate these two sources of potential cases, the hotline and the commission's own inquiries, he said. Call for witnesses is extended to October 31st. Reviews have ch of church archives have resumed after being suspended during the COVID lockdown. Oh, no, no, no. They didn't go in and wipe the archive during the lock. President Trump this week... <laughs> I'm sorry. President Trump praised what he called an incredible letter from a controversial Italian archbishop. The letter to the president said that Black Lives Matter protests and the coronavirus quarantine are part of an orchestrated campaign by, quote, the children of darkness against guess who? Yeah, the children of light. Quote, on the one hand, there are those who, although they have a thousand defects and weaknesses, are motivated by the desire to do good, to be honest, to raise a family, to engage in work, blah, 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 to, in obedience to God, to merit the kingdom of heaven, read, read the letter to Trump from Archbishop Carlo Vigano. On the other hand, he said, there are those who serve themselves, who do not hold any moral principles, who want to demolish the family. In society, Mr. President, the two opposing realities coexist as eternal enemies, just as God and Satan are. Later in the letter, he wrote that it is quite clear that the use of street protests is instrumental to the purposes of those who would like to see someone elected in the upcoming presidential elections who embodies the goals of the deep state. Unquote. Trump tweeted a link to the letter published by the anti-abortion Life Site News. The ex-ambassador often distributes his statement to that site. So honored by Archbishop Vigano's incredible letter to me. I hope everyone, religious or not, reads it, Trump tweeted. Vigano, who he? He's been a lightning rod in the church since 2018. That's two years of lightning, this according to the Washington Post, when he wrote a bombshell letter calling on the Pope to resign and listed a raft of top church officials the diplomat alleged had, along with Francis, covered up clergy sexual misconduct. He was two years into his retirement when he wrote the letter. That's a stunning break in protocol in a church built on clerical loyalty and hierarchy. He named many names, including cardinals and bishops, but offered no evidence. 
but uh, the letter says two opposing sides have formed in the Europe, European Union and the United States that I would call biblical, the children of light and the children of darkness. Coronavirus emergency was managed by dark, hidden hands in healthcare, politics, and the media who pursued a colossal operation of social engineering, Vigano wrote to Trump. Rioting and civil disturbances, he wrote, are being provoked by forces that saw the virus fading and were concerned about what Vigano called legitimate government repression. Well, he's wrong about the fading. News of the godly. <laughs> Which children are you, are you with? I guess is the question we, we end that segment with. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, back to the uh, obsession of this hour, which, which is uh, President Trump. Um, and the week ended, week, week began with uh, feedback, of course, from the rally a week ago last Saturday in uh, Tulsa. Several Secret Service agents, members of the Trump campaign, have tested positive for the uh, for COVID-19. Uh, Trump this week held a indoor, another indoor rally in Phoenix, in, in Arizona. I don't know whether it's Phoenix. Um, so that continues apace. Um, but I think the kind of, again, cognitive dissonance minnow was jumped on uh, Friday's briefing by the Coronavirus Task Force, the first briefing they've held in like a couple months. This one, unlike the others, was not attended by, <laughs> by the president. Um, and uh, it was attended by his other coronavirus task force officials, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, Dr. Redfield of the CDC, and, of course, Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, Mike Pence opened it up with a a tsunami of emollients about the uh, coronavirus situation. It all sounded really good in his telling. And then the doctors got up, and it was like they were talking about a different virus kind of a thing. So, um, and and there continue to be reports uh, leaking, pardon the expression, from inside the White House about the president's displeasure. Uh, (laughs) President's displeasure um, railing at uh, campaign officials even before the plane landed in Tulsa about the small crowd compared to the expectations that the campaign had raised and uh, certainly railing about it on the flight home and uh, railing at his campaign officials about the increasingly dire appearance of public opinion polls in terms of his own self. Sounds like this. This week, for the first time, there's something unusual on the presidential team. Open disagreement. And for the businessman turned chief executive, job one is figuring out just what job one is. Tony. Mr. President, it's uh, it's been a while. 
Maybe it's been too long. Well, I was gonna say that... Well, but now I'm gonna say this. Uh -huh. I didn't expect to be disappointed in you, Tony. Sean Spicer, sure. John Bolton, he was an idiot from day one. But you, you were like my go-to guy for all the expertises. Well, sir, I don't exactly know what the problem is. I've tried to maintain my professionalism in a situation... In a that... situation that calls for a different kind of professionalism, right? You could say that, sir. That's strange. I thought I just did. <laughs> so, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I put your whole Corona Task Force thing back on TV for a reason. And it wasn't just to showcase how great Mike Pence looks without a mask on. Is that guy a central casting vice president or what? I thought the doctors Burks and Regfield and, and myself managed to get some very important information across to the public during... During your very obvious attempts to undercut and subvert and to use a word, terrorize what Mike was trying to accomplish? Yeah, you managed to put that across. Look, Tony, you like being on TV, right? Everybody does. Mr. President, I regard it as a privilege and an honor for me to be able to communicate to the public in the most effective way possible. Then buy ads in the subway. They're a captive audience. I was... Look, Tony, I don't have your big deal degrees, but I do have the check that cleared from my dad to Wharton, okay? You're on the team for a reason. You're believable. For the people who aren't in my base, you're like the good housekeeping seal of believable. Thank you, sir, and I do try to maintain my credibility so as to give the most accurate information to the public and have it be accepted by them as such. They can't accept it if you can't deliver it, right? Well, a two-way channel of communication is, you might say, on the essential side, yes, sir. You can't deliver it if you're not on the team, right? I mean, you can sit in your underpants and tweet your opinion, but any schmuck can do that, believe me. So, you got a special task this week. I'm, I'm here to do whatever you think might help Your the... task is to stay in the damn team. Easy, right? Just figure out what you have to do and not do to not follow John Bolton out the golden door of shame. And do it. Or don't do it. Not that hard. So? Piece of cake, sir. Nothing I haven't been doing for the last three and a half years. Except better, right? Always striving to do better, sir. You know, it's funny. I thought fighting AIDS was hard. Mike. Sir, it's an incredibly special honor to be meeting with you after you authorized me to take the COVID-19 task force into the future of the great American recovery. There's no cover-up. I said recovery, sir. Oh, right. And, and I think it was a tribute to you that every one of our expertise experts up there paid due tribute to your leadership. Has to, if you ask me. <laughs> Mike... You thought that was a good show by the task force? Well, sir, thanks to your great leadership in reconvening our briefings, I think the American people got a very clear and definite sense of just how great your leadership has been during this very challenging period. Geez, I really thought I could never get enough ass-kissing, but what the hell are you talking about? That coronavirus briefing was a disaster, like a Hindenburg crashing into the Titanic great disaster. Well, sir, I did find it a little challenging to keep all the stallions from bolting out of the corral a couple of times, but I think the fact that they were standing there with masks on made them look just a little bit on the comical side. I'm glad you're getting a little chuckle out of this, because I'm dying here. You've got your people up there saying more testing so often it's like a warning sign on the George Washington Bridge. Well, almost might make you think Tony has some financial interest in one of our 
testing partners in the private sector? Nah, he doesn't have a good enough business head for that. Mm. So like Mike, I gotta figure out riffs for the next rally. That task force is your baby, right? Well, sure, I was honored enough for you to have given me responsibility. So for... your responsibility and your task, and basically I can't fire you, but I can sue you if you don't come through on this, is to shut down that damn task force once and for all. Well, sir, I think, if I may, the best way to assure that result is just to reframe it as a great American recovery task force. I think most, if not all, the members would just want to distance themselves from it naturally. It's not in their wheelhouse. That's not a half-bad idea. Well, sir, it's an honor to... It's a horrible idea. But it's worth a try. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make task forces great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis. This week, it keeps getting realer. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Heavily edited because there were so many of them. You know, this period of time, it's it's good for apologies, but you know, we only got an hour. Dayline Montgomery, Alabama, Alabama Governor Ivy is now apologizing for putting labels on businesses during the pandemic. She made those comments this week while speaking virtually to the uh, Montgomery area Chamber of Commerce. Governor says she understands her stay-at-home order had a negative impact on businesses around the state when the decision was made to label some business as businesses as essential and others non-essential. Quote, I never wanted to create the belief that my administration views certain businesses as more important than others. All jobs and all businesses are essential and important to our state, she said. All businesses matter? Is that what you're saying? You know, when there are national emergencies, non-essential federal employees are told to stay home. How do they feel? Deadline Belgrade, Serbia, tennis star Novak Djokovic, who tested positive for coronavirus, apologized online this week for organizing a series of exhibition tennis matches that brought together professional players from various countries to play in Serbia and Croatia. How can you turn that down? Thousands of spectators attended the matches and no social distancing was observed. The tour has been canceled. The 17-time Grand Slam champion and his wife tested positive for the virus. The Darwin Awards are heating up. We were wrong and it was too soon, wrote Djokovic, who previously said he was against taking a vaccine for the virus, even if it became mandatory in order to travel. NBA player Nikola Djokic, a Serb who plays for the Denver Nuggets, has also tested positive for the coronavirus. He was pictured shaking hands with Djokovic, and an exhibition basketball event in Belgrade. Djokic is reportedly recovering in his hometown. Djokovic's mother said her son and his wife are feeling fine, but both suffering because of the widespread criticism. It is horrible what is being written, but we are used to it, said Dijana Djokovic, speaking to the Belgrade daily newspaper, The Blitch. I don't write them, I just read them. Deadline somewhere. Comedian... Chelsea Handler has apologized for posting a video clip of uh, Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan on her Instagram account. She had defended leaving up the post from a Farrakhan appearance on the Phil Donahue show. That's, that took some digging. On the topic of racial prejudice, she left it up for several days, but Handler 
who the, Jew, the Times of Israel reports is Jewish, later deleted the clip and sent an email apology to the Daily Beast. I want to sincerely apologize for posting the video of Louis Farrakhan. She wrote, I didn't consider the context of his anti-Semitic and homophobic rhetoric. That is, of course, contrary to my own beliefs and values. Part of the process of educating ourselves during this pivotal time is recognizing and working through our mistakes. This was definitely one of mine. I was wrong. It was offensive. And I apologize. That comes after she uh, defended posting the video in an interview on the podcast put out by the Daily Beast, in which she said, I thought his message was really powerful. I wasn't thinking about the anti-Semitic thing. So whatever you know, everybody who is complaining about it can go F themselves. Actress Jessica Chastain also shared the Farrakhan clip, later deleting it with no explanation. None needed. Dateline Baltimore, 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 a Baltimore restaurant issued an apology this week after a video showed a black woman and her son being denied service because of the boy's clothes. Meanwhile, a white child dressed similarly was served. Atlas Restaurant Group, which owns the restaurant, Uzo Bay. Uzo Bay. That that sounds like the next member of the cast of the of the View. Would you welcome please Uzo Bay? Said it, the uh, group, the restaurant group, was disturbed by the incident and placed the manager on indefinite leave. This should never have happened. The company said. The video posted by Marsha, posted by Marsha Grant shows her son wearing athletic shorts, sneakers, and an Air Jordan T-shirt. The unidentified manager tells Grant her son's outfit violates the restaurant's dress code. Here we go with the dress code again. Grant turns a camera towards a white young man at the restaurant wearing a graphic T-shirt and similar-looking shorts who is being served. But the manager replies the child wasn't wearing shorts like Grant's son. He also said he didn't get a good look at the white kid. Atlas said they were immediately changing their policy that children ages 12 and under aren't subjected the dress code. Atlas also said the dress code wasn't intended to be discriminatory. I think it is. I think it, by definition, it discriminates against people who don't dress according to the dress code. What am I missing? A Scottsdale city council member who said, I can't breathe while wearing a face mask and addressing a crowd of protesters opposed to coronavirus rules he is now apologized. Councilman Guy Phillips said, I can't breathe twice before taking off his mask at the rally. You know who else has spoken those words. It was a stupid and insensitive comment that I shouldn't have made. I had no intention of disrespecting anybody while making that comment, Phillips said in a phone interview. He began his second term three years ago, second term as a council member of Scottsdale, Phillips said he intended to show how restrictive masks are and not to mock George Floyd. He also apologized to Floyd's family. I'm sorry about a comment I made today that was the same comment Mr. <laughs> comment that Mr. Floyd had made. <laughs> that was a comment. I can't breathe. He didn't deserve what happened to him, and I by no means was trying to make light of it by saying, I can't breathe in a mask, Phillips said. Please accept my sincerest apology, and that goes out to anyone who became offended, unquote. He's good with the English. The governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, condemned his remarks just flat-out wrong. Despicable doesn't go far enough. 
Those words should never be invoked like this. Anyone who mocks the murder of a fellow human has no place in public office, period. The mayor of Scottsdale, W.J. Jim Lane, said that the comments do not represent the values of our Scottsdale community. These comments that people are apologizing for don't seem to represent the, their values. So what values are they rep- What am Again, what am I missing? The... Uh, English football club Leeds United has issued an apology after. (laughs) Now, this this gets us to the subject of uh, athletic competitions that are being played without uh, actual crowds in the stands. So for this next uh, item, I'm going to invoke our uh, virtual baseball crowd and our virtual uh, baseball organist, although... We're actually talking about uh, English football here, soccer. But just to get, get you in the mood. So at a uh, game of Leeds United, there were cardboard cutouts of uh, fans. And among them was one of Osama bin Laden. And the club has now apologized. Many football teams have followed from the National Rugby League, where fans can pay for a cutout of them to sit in the stands after they were denied the chance to go to games. The image of Bin Laden was spotted by a Leeds United fan whose image was placed next to Bin Laden. Leeds United says they will ensure there are no more offensive images, according to the BBC. The uh, Rugby League had a similar issue when first introducing the new fan experience. Hey, the fans are having quite an experience. Uh, Because an image of an English serial killer, Dr. Shipman, appeared in the crowd during a game between the Panthers and the Knights. Good night. All right. Thank you to the virtual crowd. They've been ushered away from their seats. And another apology from the uh, Alabama governor. She has had a sorry week. She is shocked and appalled Governor Kay Ivey offered to assist NASCAR officials in an investigation of the noose that was supposedly left in Bubba Wallace's garage at Talladega Super Speedway. Last Sunday, she also sent an apology to Wallace, who is black. Now it turns out perhaps that noose had been there a while. Perhaps it was a rope pull for a garage door, although it had a hangman's noose is not. Anyway, she's sorry. The apologies of the week. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. A couple of notes about microplastics. Every year, treated wastewater sludge, biosolids, is recycled and spread over agricultural land. Recent research discovered this practice dumps thousands of tons of microplastics into farmlands around the world. In Australia, according to The Conversation and a researcher at RMIT University, the estimated amount is at least 1,241 tons a year. Microplastics in soils can threaten land, freshwater, and marine ecosystems by changing what the creatures eat and their habitats, causing some organisms to lose weight and have higher death rates. They're also good microplastics at absorbing other pollutants, such as cadmium, your lead, and your nickel, and can transfer these heavy metals to soils. So there's that. And uh, now they're finding nanoplastics accumulating in tissues. But I will save that for next week when 
I have just a little bit more time. Strange the change from major to minor. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week, same time on these radio stations and whenever you want it, on your audio device of choice. And it'd be just like digging cognitive, dis- dog- cognitive dissonance, or at least pronouncing it, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk. To Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO for their help with today's broadcast. And thanks to the uh, guard at the entrance to the campus for letting me in. The email address for this program, get Cars I Talk t-shirts and get the playlist of the show all at harryshearer.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City. <laughs>